Welcome to The Surge, a podcast about all things AmSurge and the ambulatory surgery center industry, where we share insight, news, and conversations relevant to our nationwide network of centers. Join us as we hear from AmSurge leadership, partners, and healthcare experts about the best practices, trends, and strategies that help your business thrive. Now here's today's host, AmSurge Medical Staff Lead, Dr. Jay Pop. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Surge. I'm Dr. Jay Pop, the Medical Staff Lead at AmSurge, and I'm really delighted today to have an opportunity to talk to my old friend, Paul Brown. I don't mean old Paul. I, I mean, we've known each other for a long time, of course. Um, but Paul and I have um, worked together on the AmSurge Physician Advisory Board for years. He's an innovative practicing gastroenterologist in the Louisville area, and I'm just grateful that he's agreed to spend some time with us and tell us a little bit about his practice and a few other things I'd like to ask him. So, Paul, welcome. And let's start by having you tell the audience a little bit about your background, where you grew up, how you got into medicine, and specifically how you decided to choose GI. Yeah, I uh, you know, went to medical uh, co- college and medical school uh, all at University of Louisville. And so I uh, went into my uh, internal medicine residency. And in my last rotation, I, I did a rotation in gastroenterology because I fully intended on being a primary care internal medicine physician. And I just fell in love with it. So I had to scramble around to find a fellowship in gastroenterology, which I did at the University of Louisville as a trade-off to being a chief medical resident of the internal medicine service for one year. Mm-hmm. So it was a trade-off that really worked in my benefit from every aspect and uh, completed my gastroenterology training at the University of Louisville in 1991. And uh, looked at a lot of practices. Knew I wanted to go into primary, into uh, independent GI practice of medicine. Looked at a lot of practices in this region, and ended up joining a group of two uh, here in Louisville, Louisville Gastroenterology Associates. And they were two great docs, a uh, few years older than me. But when I went into that practice, it was a practice that was covering seven hospitals. Uh, all of our outpatient procedures were done at the hospital. There were no ancillary revenues. And I knew we had to do two things. We had to grow organic growth with physicians and we uh, had to develop ancillary revenues. And we did both those things over the next several years. We uh, grew to a group of nine and uh, physicians. And then we uh, tied in with AmSurge in 2000 and built our endoscopy center. And, and that was the offshoot that took us uh, into all the ancillary revenues. So, so AmSurge built the center with you. It was uh, kind of a ground-up deal. It was. Uh, Kentucky is a state that requires a certificate of need for a uh, endoscopy center. We had no idea how to do that, and AmSurge came and uh, interviewed us. We interviewed them. We had uh, wanted to set up a mutually beneficial agreement, and we did. And AmSurge was instrumental in de- developing and acquiring our certificate of need. And then, of course, we worked with them in uh, developing our endoscopy center from the ground up. Uh, literally, we bought the property, uh, you know, the building, selected the builder. We did all that together as a unit. And it's been a huge success for us. When we started with AmSurge, we built the endoscopy center out with two rooms. 
And, um, and then as we grew internally, uh, organic growth, we changed that, advanced that up to three rooms. And then this past year, half of the building was for ophthalmology. They moved out. We are able to extend our certificate of need. We're going to be growing into five rooms here uh, within wow. the next year. So from what I gather, your partnership with AmSurge has been uh, very positive. It has been. It's uh, It's been a, uh, a great run. We've been, you know, 20 plus years and it's AmSurge brings a lot of things to the table that, that we don't have. First of all, the ability to acquire the certificate of need. Secondly, the expertise business-wise to manage our endoscopy center. They bring great efficiencies. They bring great economies of scale. Um, they do our billing for the endoscopy center. But probably just as important, Jay, is they help us with day-to-day -day management. If we have a problem with scheduling or we have a problem with employee issue, uh, you know, AmSurge has experienced this multiple occasions in the past in multiple centers. And it's a source of knowledge that we go to frequently and call on and ask them how we should solve this problem. You know, a great example, Jay, was during the uh, pandemic uh, that you were so heavily involved in. How do you shut down your center? How do you bring your center back up? How do you protect your patients? How do you protect your employees? Uh, what's considered an urgent endoscopy case that would be permissible to do under the circumstances that were present in the in the pandemic? and so AmSurge has been a great partner in all those aspects. Well, you know, the pandemic, Paul, we were learning a lot of things for the first time, and a lot of it was decision-making on the fly, and um, it was a challenge, but I, I, I do think that um, AmSurge provided the support that uh, was needed. Um, and the challenge, as you know, is we've got over 250 centers, and. 38 states and all the rules are different. And um, so, you know, I'm glad we're pretty much on the other side of it. You know, speaking of the pandemic, um, how has it affected you and your practice in terms of personnel? Um, have you lost people? Are you having trouble hiring replacements? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, a lot of different aspects of that. Number one, we did uh, lose a few people. We lost a lot more people on a lower pay, uh, pay scale from the office as opposed to the endoscopy center, but we still lost some people through the pandemic. The second thing is that if you're going to keep people, we had to make changes in, in the, you know, what we paid those individuals, their wages. So we had to step up our way, a significant wage increase kind of across the board from nurses to CRNAs uh, to technical staff to administrative staff, uh, because these, employees were finding uh, other opportunities that paid significantly more. So it made a big difference in our overhead cost, but it was necessary. We did it both at the endoscopy center. We did it in our office as well. So those are the, one of the things that had a big difference, uh, made a big difference to the pandemic on our employees themselves. So that's really been a pain point. Has it, and you said, and I think it was, you know, it makes a whole lot of sense to um, raise salaries across the board. But were there any areas that were more difficult than others? I'm thinking specifically of anesthesia, um, RNs. Yeah, we've been we've been pretty blessed with our CRNAs, our endoscopy center. We have a core group 
But again, we had to bump up their salaries. What we were most concerned about was the nursing staff. I mean, they were had the ability to get these exorbitant uh, hourly wages at, at a lot of the hospitals, and the hospitals were competing one against the other who could pay the nursing staff a greater fee. And uh, so that that was probably our greater concern as opposed to the, the CRNAs. And that may be unique to our endoscopy center, but, but it was mm-hmm. the reality. You know, you and I have both heard stories about um, practices. They, they have somebody signed up and they think it's all set and they don't show up on the first day of work because they've gone somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's. Yeah. And, and, you know, Louisville sits right on the Ohio River. So right across the river, some nurses were able to go over there and be considered travel nurses and, again, be uh, paid this exorbitant yeah. rate. So, But we were able to, you know, come up with some solutions. And, and AmSearch helped yeah. us with that. And, and what's a good mark? What's the right market value to pay these individuals? Because otherwise you're kind of going by the seat of your pants. And uh, we, we were able to work through that. And the endoscopy center's back up and running, you know, 100%. So are you back to the same volume you were pre-pandemic? We are. We're back to that same volume and, and you know, with a, probably a longer waiting list of all those people that got delayed, you know, because of Yeah, the- that was my next question. So have you caught up with that backlog pretty much? And We're getting closer. Uh, you know, patients uh, from that backlog trickle in and we're getting closer to being mm-hmm. caught up. Did you see, I'm, I'm curious, did you see during the pandemic uh, more people either ask for or um, maybe primary care docs, instead of thinking about colonoscopy, relied more on stool-based testing like FIT and Cologuard? Yeah, that's hard to say, Jay. It's, uh, I mean, we got a lot of positive Cologuards that were referred to, so that may be the case probably more than usual, but it's hard to say, you know, what was done uh, in the primary care uh, realm, but but we certainly saw more patients being referred for positive cologuard. So I think if you're going to extrapolate from that, the answer would be yes. Probably the primary care doctors were doing probably, that. Probably more being done. So um, one other thing I want to ask you about AmSurge, you've been a member of our physician advisory board, uh, I think since it was invented, uh, or it, it seems like it. You've been a real stalwart, um, always provide great insights, you know, I know personally how much I enjoy speaking with you. And when we finally, when we got together recently for the first time in a couple of years, it was, it was truly a pleasure. Um, so that association with the advisory board, and just for our listeners, um, we have pre-pandemic advisory boards for GI ophthalmology and orthopedics. And the GI advisory board was always the m- most robust. And during the pandemic, of course, we couldn't meet, but um, we reconstituted the board. Uh, took several, uh, what I would call legacy members, Paul being one, and added several more. And so we now have a 10-member advisory board that met for the first time virtually back in uh, the late part of 2021. And we had our first live meeting in Nashville uh, several weeks ago. So, well, tell me a little bit about um, your association with that PAB and um, your reactions to it, how you've enjoyed it. uh, you know, the collegiality yeah. that we share. Give us, give your view, give our listeners a little bit about that. Jay, I've been part of the AmSurge Physician Advisory Board for the GI market since 2012, which uh, goes back 10 years now, obviously. 
But I tell you, that is one board that I really enjoy serving on. It, it does a lot of things. Number one, it's a great exchange of information. So we find out what AmSurge is thinking, what direction they're going, uh, why they've made some decisions that they've made that we may not understand. It, it enlightens us on the business end of the of, uh, of AmSurge. And it, it's a great presentation those two days a year that we meet uh, because, again, it, all the administrative staff is there for AmSurge and, and we have this exchange of ideas. And from the physician standpoint, I feel that we're able to give AmSurge from the medical angle, are they going in the right direction? And if they are going in the right direction, how can it be tweaked or maneuvered a little bit to be better for the patient, to be better clinically, to be better medically, uh, standards of practice being followed. So it's a great exchange of ideas between the AmSurge administration and the physicians. Now, another thing that occurs, Jay, that you've already alluded to is just you and I being able to talk and, and, and you know, push ideas back and forth between each other. But that same uh, exchange of ideas occurs with all the physicians in the yeah. room. And I always tell people, I find out that we're all in the same type of canoes. We're, they're just different canoes, but we're paddling upstream against the same yeah. river. And we have the same problems. And we find out great ways of how to solve some of these problems together. How What may have worked in Dayton, uh, maybe I can take that out and bring it into Louisville. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a great exchange of ideas from several different levels. But that's what I find most enjoyable about well, it. Well, and, and as you said, you and I talk or keep in touch. And even though we only meet physically twice a year, um, I know that I can I can email you, Paul, and say, you know, Paul, I got a question. Somebody's brought this up. What do you think? And, you know, you'll respond that day. And um, the rest of the advisory yeah. board, they're the same way. So we, we always have that back and forth. And it's 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 you create a network, exactly. you know, that, that that's really accessible to you. And if you remember, Jay, you were kind of talking to me about artificial intelligence, and like the next week, I had a meeting with the company, and I could give you immediate feedback. Yeah. But that's that's a great resource. You know, yeah, well, we need that, Paul. You know, I'm. It's hard to believe, but I'm 16 years from active practice, and although I. I think I keep up and I think I know what's going on. There's nothing like being in the trenches like you are. So you really know That's what's right. happening. Um, but I, I appreciate all the support you've given me and AmSearch over the years. You know, one thing you said at the beginning, Paul, when you got out of your training and it was important that you find an independent practice, um, within the last year or so, you changed that a little bit. And, um, I'd love for you to talk about that, kind of what went into that decision to to join One GI, uh, and I'd especially like to hear any advice you have for our listeners, because it seems that that model has really taken off in the last couple of years, and um, as you and I have talked about, it can be done right and it can be done wrong. So, give our listeners some advice. What what got you there, and uh, what kind of roadblocks did you deal with, and how can you help others get around them? Yeah, so like I was telling you, as our group grew, I knew just through the national means I was going to, you have to, if you're going to survive in independent practice, you have to look at consolidation. You have to have size. You have to have numbers. So the, I was trying to do this on my own to expand. And so I started for the past seven or eight to eight years, 
I started going up to Dayton, Ohio, and Cincinnati, and Evansville, and Lexington, all the neighboring cities, and everybody was the same. All the docs on our presentation said the same thing. Great idea, great idea, but nobody got into the game. Everybody stayed on the sideline. So the difference now is our work with private equity. So uh, we joined up with Webster as private equity company, and then Mike Dragutsky down in Memphis and myself, we have very common uh, thought process and ideas what we wanted, developed 1GI, which is a uh, regional consolidator, and we have regional density. So it's it goes through Ohio and Tennessee and Indiana and uh, Mississippi uh, and, and a lot of other neighboring states that we're moving into. So we've now gone from 18 doctors to 130 physicians and continue to grow. And we're now the third largest consolidator. One GI is now the third largest GI consolidator in the market. So um, I think it's important that independent GI doctors are going to have to participate in these type of business models. And, and I don't think we have the time today, but it is important to select the right one uh, uh, who all have totally different business models, um, uh, totally different thoughts and processes and cultures uh, on, on how the physician involvement uh, plays out. But it's been a very, it's been an excellent situation for us, a very strong business model, and we'll benefit from it immensely uh, we have and we will continue to do. Well, you know, um, you and I have both heard from people who were afraid they were going to miss the boat and they signed up kind of with the first ones that came along. And I remember a remark that was made at our recent advisory board meeting by, by one of the members saying that uh, it, it should take you a, a minimum of a couple of years to make this decision, you know, to make sure you vet everything. To You, you mentioned culture. I think that's so important. Position leadership is so important. You know, what role at the top, you know, in the, if we're going to think about the C-suite, which we don't talk about much in medicine, but it's applicable to this. You've, you've got to have position leadership um, to, to really make it work. So uh, you really do, Jay, and you have to be sure you're part of an organization where the physicians have 100% control of the clinical aspect and patient mm -hmm. care. And you want your private equity group for their expertise in business, but you don't want them involved in any way with clinical mm -hmm. care. And you, and you want the physicians being on this. We have a medical leadership board that makes all clinical decisions, 100% uh, managed and run by and operated by physicians with 0% interest yeah. by private equity. And that's the cultures that, and, and there's distinct different cultures in all these consolidators, and you have to be sure that you're, yeah, moving into the right uh, scenario. Well, and, and something you did, Paul, and I'm, um, I think it's so great that you did it. And it's something that I've talked to you about saying that for 20 years, I was saying that I, to myself, I should do this, but you got your MBA, uh, which um, yes. I'm sure has been very, very helpful in giving you some non-medical, if you will, tools and the combination of those two things, I'm sure has been just invaluable in trying to look at putting this together and how you evaluate various processes. Um, tell me about that. Yeah, Jay, uh, I'm approaching the 64 mark. And uh, when I was 55, I decided that if I'm going to truly make a dent in the way the medicine and GI is being practiced with consolidation, et cetera, 
I better understand the business aspect of it so I know what I'm getting into. So when I was 55, I went back and did the weekend MBA program at our local university. And uh, it's been a great asset. I, I just feel that now when I'm sitting at the table, uh, so much of medicine is business yeah. now that I just have a better grasp and understanding of it. I mean, certainly the priority is always medicine and clinical aspect and care of the patient. But for, for a long time, historically, physicians have ignored the business aspect of medicine. And that's why we fell behind. Uh, we fell behind significantly and we lost control of the steering of the ship. And we've got to regain that control in any way possible. And that's why I went back. I mean, it was difficult. I mean, that, that's a two-year yeah. program working on weekends. And, uh, uh, and so it, it was a difficult process, but it was well worth it. And I enjoyed it immensely. Well, you know, Paul, things are, and I've got a decade on you. And when I started practice, you, you didn't really know anything about the business side. You just figured things were going to happen and everything was going to be okay. And you'd step into a practice and you never knew anything about the way it ran or why it did the things it did. So you're exactly right, Jay. Kudos to you for doing that. Um, one other thing, just thinking about the clinical side, you were also a pretty early adopter of GI Quick. Um, Give me your thoughts about that. You know, this is something that um, we now have over 120 centers in the AmSearch network using GI Quick. What has it done for your practice? How have you used it? Um, have you used it at all in, in marketing the practice? Um, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, GI Quick's uh, been an excellent program. I think we adopted it 10 years ago, Jay, if I remember correctly. And um, it is just a nice internal monitor of what each physician is doing. And, and I tell people it's an enlightenment for the physicians. A lot of times they weren't aware that their adenoma detection rate was below the 25% mark. They weren't aware that their withdrawal time was, uh, you know, four minutes instead of six minutes. And so what we did, we took all that data every quarter, compiled it each individually for the physicians. And I would present that in a meeting in a general way, not mentioning any names, et cetera. But I'd present that at our partners meeting uh, that we have one maybe doctor under the appropriate percentage for adenoma detection. And then I would hand out those to each individual physician. And it became, you would see improvement in those numbers the next quarter yeah. because doctors want to do what's right. They want to do uh, the appropriate thing they, and they, they're competitive. So it's a way of almost self-correcting. And we've never had to go back and uh, there was never been a physician that stayed below appropriate thresholds uh, for us to have to interact. But we have processes that would allow us to do that if we had to. But I think it's a great way. Now, we, in all honesty, we have not used the data to work with payers uh, for because we have high adenoma detection rate that we should be paid a higher reimbursement. But we will be able to do that. That's the advantage of these consolidations. We'll have a greater group of numbers, a greater group of people, and we'll be able to use some of that leverage to improve our reimbursement because of our high uh, GI quick numbers. You know, Paul, it just to, to gastroenterologists and to any, anybody that thinks, it makes so much sense if you can say to a third-party payer, hey, look, here's the data. For every 1% increase in ADR, there's a 3% reduction in colon cancer and a 5% reduction in colon cancer death. 
the baseline benchmark is 25%. Our practice does 40%. Do the math. 45% exactly. reduction in cancer. You know, uh, you, you should get paid more for that. And I, and I think we're working on that. Um, it, it's a lot why some people, quite frankly, they don't want to measure because, and Paul, between you and me, I think a lot of times people don't want to measure because they really don't want to know. Um, they, right. They'd rather think, well, I'm, I'm a good gastroenterologist. I know what I'm doing. But th there's no mandate for it. They're, they're not going to get paid anymore for doing it. And, you know, that's a weak excuse, I think, because we all should be out for delivering better patient care. And when we looked at our first 10 centers at AmSurge over a period of, of five years, year on year, every center got better every year. You know, it's right. kind, of, kind of that old Hawthorne effect. When people are looking at you, you behave differently. So uh, That's I think exactly you right, did a great job with that. And, you know, speaking of, or at least relevant to adenoma detection rate in colon cancer, you know, so much of our focus is, as gastroenterologists has been on colon cancer. And I'm, I'm wondering, and we've talked about this, you'll know where I'm going. Do you have open access colonoscopy at your center? We do. Yeah. And we've had that for many years. Uh, now, with the help of AmSurge, we're even doing a better job of it through um, some social media, uh, some ability to direct patients that are looking up, you know, on Google colonoscopy. You know, the, one of the, the AmSurge has helped us to direct those patients into our website. And, and AmSurge has helped us develop our endoscopy center website. So, yes, we have open access. Uh, so patients will complete a, a personal information form or a PIF and then submit that. And then the staff will review it. And then the physician will review it. And those patients will be contacted and scheduled. And I think, Jay, you've been very instrumental in, with AmSurge in developing a, a fully comprehensive uh, personal information form that's, that's been helpful to you know, a lot of the groups and a lot of the practices. But our ultimate goal is that those patients will be able to get online themselves and, and schedule their own colonoscopy uh, and allow the physician time to review their data that they submitted. Uh, we're not there yet, but that's what we're approaching. But it's a, it's a huge asset, you know, for the endoscopy center. Significant percentage of our patients come in as bypass colonoscopy. Uh -huh. Well, and this is something where the physician advisory board is so helpful. And just for our listeners' background, we had a discussion about this at our virtual meeting late last year. Um, virtually everybody on our advisory board does open access colonoscopy, but we learned from a lot of our centers that a lot of them don't. And everybody thought it might be a good idea to develop a form that could be used as a template. And that's where the PAB comes into play. So mm -hmm. I send out an email to our 10 members, they send me information back, they give me feedback, we have back and forths and come up with something. And we're gonna actually roll that out, Paul, to, to the clinical and ops people next week so that they know that it's there and then distribute it to our centers. And our whole goal, and we talk about this again at the advisory board, is developing some sort of a toolbox where um, centers can pick stuff off the shelf if they need it. You know, you don't need an open access form, but um, a lot of practices do. So you'd say, well, I, I don't need that off the, out of the toolbox, but so that's mm -hmm. kind of our hope, but, um, yeah, perfect example, Jay, of AmSurge administration physicians working together uh, with exchange of ideas to make a system and a program better. That's yeah. a perfect example of it. Well, 
One other thing I want to touch on, and I, I'm taking way too much of your time, but you've been really active um, in an organization called the DHPA. And I have a reason, several reasons for wanting to bring this up. Um, can you tell our listeners what it does and what your involvement has been with it? Yeah, DHPA is Digestive Health Physicians Association, and it's a national group of only independent GI docs, and it is just a super organization. We've been a part of it for about eight years. Uh, we're now in, I think, 38 states with, uh, if I remember right, 1,500 uh, GI physicians, and it was originally put together as a lobbying effort, but it has become so much more. Uh, but from the lobbying aspect, we meet uh, every six months, and one of those meetings is held in D.C., and we go about, we have a Republican lobbyist and a Democratic lobbyist, and we go around and visit uh, multiple uh, representatives and senators' offices and sometimes with the individuals themselves to push legislation that benefits GI care. And one of the best examples was, if you remember uh, recently with Medicare, if you did a screen colonoscopy on a Medicare patient, they had a pop and you removed it, it was changed from a, a screening procedure to a diagnostic procedure. And then the patient was given a, a, a copay bill as well as a procedure bill when they thought it was going to be 100% covered. And that was changed because of the efforts of DHPA. So we've made a lot of wins in Congress and uh, our, our lobbyists watch what's going on, keep us on track with what's going on nationally as well as on the state level. And again, it's another organization every meeting I go to, there'll be, you know, on the board, uh, you know, 50, 60 docs. And I'm in this exchange of ideas with doctors from all over the country who, again, are in my same situation. They have a good uh, response on how to handle, you know, A, B, or C. And I may have a good response for them on problems that they're having. So it's this exchange of ideas and I would encourage any independent GI doc to be part of DHPA. Yeah, you know, Paul, um, when, when I think about it, and you and I have done this for years, uh, we've gone to Washington, we've knocked on doors. It, it took eight years for screening colonoscopy to be accepted as a Medicare benefit. I mean, you know that. And so that means seven years of being told no, and uh, you, you keep going back to the trough and saying, give us a chance, and you've got all the data. And... I really encourage anybody to get involved. And I, I think that's a lot of times people say, well, well, what can I do? And um, I think you and I both know that there are a lot of legislators out there who have GI problems, who've maybe been colonoscoped, and everybody's got a relative that's had colon cancer or colon polyp. And you can make it very personal and um, just get out there and do it. So anybody who wants to get involved, the DHPA is a, a great resource, um, and, you know, people say, what can I do to help? Well, that's what you can do. I mean, you can put your support behind the organization like that. Yeah, it makes a big difference, and these representative centers officers still, they're very appreciative of our input. Where the physicians still carry a lot of clout and have a lot of respect on Capitol Hill, and, and they're appreciative of our input, and, and they, they'll oftentimes ask us our opinion about other kind of unrelated matters, you know, while we're there. So, right. But you got to get involved. If, if you're not a part of it, then, then you're not 
you're not being active in solving the problems. Well, it, you know, as the old saying goes, if you don't have a seat at the table, you may be on the menu. And I, and I think that's exactly right. The other thing that surprises physicians is um, you have to donate money to get it. <laughs> and believe me, the hospitals, the insurance companies, the pharmaceutical companies are way ahead of us oh. in what they contribute to lobbyists. But, but we're starting to make a, a we have better credentials, I think, uh, on Capitol Hill. So, but with our uh, lobbyists, you know, we've been able to make a dent in a lot of these issues. Well, doctors in general, but even within different specialties, anesthesiologists give way more than gastroenterologists. Right. So some get it and some don't. But, well, Paul, this has been a great session. I, I'm going to give you a chance. Uh, if you have anything that you'd want to say or something I didn't ask you um, before I let you get back to your other activities. You know, I've, uh, I've enjoyed my run with AmSurge and my friendship and association with you, Jay. And it's, uh, it's been a great experience. And I'm just glad to share that with everybody today. Well, Paul, thanks again for your time. Um, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this, uh, this version of The Surge and stay tuned. There'll be another one next month. Y'all have a great day. Thank you for listening to The Surge. If you have any questions about this podcast or suggestions for future episodes, please contact us at communications at amsurge.com.